Mark chapter number 14. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 26. We're going to read a few verses here and then we're going to skip a little bit and read some more. We'll begin in verse 26. Mark chapter 14, verse 26. The Bible says, When they had sung an hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I pray, while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Now look down in verse number 66 with me. The Bible says, And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crewed. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him before the cock crow twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the Wednesday night prayer meeting, Lord, that we can come together. We can gain the encouragement that we need, Lord, as we navigate through this world and we are constantly steeped around us and surrounded with iniquity, wickedness, God-hating. But Lord, we can come here tonight and we can gather and we can be around people that love you, that care about you that pray for one another. Lord, what a precious thing Wednesday night prayer meeting is. I pray we'd not take it for granted. And I pray that as the Word of God is preached to us tonight, Lord, that we'd sit here with a spirit and attitude of self-examination. Lord, that we would not bow up against You, that we wouldn't in pride exalt ourselves, that we wouldn't argue with You and fuss with You, but Lord, instead that we'd just open our hearts and minds, say, Lord, we're Yours, we belong to You, whatever You have to say to us, we need to hear. Lord, we know that if we have that attitude, we'll hear from You. And you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, we love you and we ask you to bless this time together. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. In Mark chapter number 14, we have probably what is the lowest moment in the life of Peter, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say this, that if there was probably any portion of scripture that Peter wishes he could have uh, buried or had hidden away, uh, that God would have given him liberty to somehow conceal, it probably would have been what we're reading before us. I would note this though, Peter, 
Though undoubtedly he was embarrassed about it, he was honest about it. Now you say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, because we're reading the gospel account of uh, John Mark. John Mark, it's uh, commonly believed, could have only learned what he did about the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ from Peter himself. And so Peter was at least honest with his failings. Let me say this, if we won't be honest with God about our failings, we can't get no help with them. God will not help us be a hypocrite. Uh, We have to get honest with God about our problems, about our failings, about our mistakes. God won't help us play the role of a hypocrite. Peter, no doubt, would have desired to forget this portion, this season in his life. And yet contained in this story before us, we have a valuable lesson, many valuable lessons really, for you and I today. Uh, We live in a society in which there is much pressure to deny the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you may not have ever been asked by your employer to blaspheme the name of Christ. I hope and trust that you haven't. Uh, There's a possibility some of you here may have been asked to be quiet about your Christianity. That's not altogether uncommon. But even setting those things aside, you're going to be pressured by society to live in a way that is uh, congruent with society's view about right and wrong. You're going to be asked, in other words, to bury your Christian witness, your Christian testimony, and your Christian lifestyle, and to instead just live in a way that is acceptable to the world system. Peter on this night shows us what it looks like when someone compromises their testimony And not only by their words, but by their actions, by their walk, we could say, denies the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before we're too hard on Peter, let me just say uh, that if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in this position. If I'm to be 100% honest, man, there's been times in my life that I've looked back over an interaction and I've had to do some soul searching and ask myself, could I have been more bold? And if I wasn't more bold, why was I not more bold? Uh, Times when I could have spoken up, where I could have stood up, where I could have been a witness for the Lord Jesus, and for whatever reason that may be used, whatever excuse may soothe my conscience, just like I'm sure Peter's excuses soothed his conscience, for whatever reason, I chose to just hush and be quiet and go along to get along. When I read this passage of Scripture, I am painfully reminded of how quickly a person whose life is marked by boldness, by the way, I mean, Peter was not a shy fellow. Uh, He wasn't an introvert. He was a very bombastic individual. If anything, that was most of the time his downfall. And yet we find that the most brazen of individuals can be bullied into being the quietest at the most important times. How did this all happen? Well, I've jotted down a little title and I'm just going to tell you what it is. It all happened while he was sitting by the fire. It all happened at a time when his guard was let down. It all happened at a time when he was weary It all happened at a time when he was relaxed. It all happened at a time I think we would all acknowledge, even though Peter was warned of this, it was at a time when he did not expect it to happen. I want you to notice three thoughts with me here, and then we'll be done tonight. Notice first off with me his path to getting there. You see, uh, this event in Peter's life did not begin the moment he sat down beside that fire. The reason the Holy Ghost records for us several details by the way, that distinctly relate to Peter. I mean, there's 12 disciples, but we're hearing about Simon Peter. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's two other men there that are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet Christ called Peter by name. Why is he doing that? To draw our attention to the mistakes that Peter made that led him to that moment. So what are those, preacher? Well, number one, I would say this, his path to get there, it involved a delusion 
that he told himself. Look what it says back in verse number 31. Now, you remember the Lord Jesus tells his disciples in verse number 29, he says uh, this, or uh, that, or excuse me, in verse number 30, he, he said, thou uh, shalt deny me. Uh, let me go back and read it more carefully. I, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote this. Back in uh, verse number 27, the Lord Jesus said unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. He said, every one of you is going to be offended. You're going to flee from me. You're going to abandon and forsake me. In accordance with Scripture, he said, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. Now, when he said this, what should have been the right response is they should have said, Lord, we know we are weak. We know we are apt. We know we are prone to this. We know we are bent towards backsliding. Help us not fulfill that. Help us not do that. Can I just say here, uh, several times in the Word of God, we're told about individuals that fulfilled particular uh, prophecies of Scripture. And sometimes it, uh, it's tempting to look at that and say, well, they were just sort of dancing to divinity and destiny. They couldn't help that. Let me just say, just like with Judas, someone was going to betray Jesus, but it didn't have to be Judas. Hey, someone was going to abandon the Lord Jesus, but these men still made their own decision. You say, preacher, what does that have to do with anything? Well, we are living, I think we would all acknowledge, in what we would call Laodicean days, days in which there is great apathy in the church. It's true that the conditions are going to be like that before the Lord returns. But hey, that don't mean that you and I have to be Laodicean. That doesn't mean we have to be apathetic. doesn't mean we have to be noncommittal in our relationship with the Lord Jesus. So Peter should have said, Lord, this is terrible, but I trust you, I believe you. What can we do to change things? That's not what Peter said. In verse number uh, 29, Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee that this day, even in this night before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. In other words, the Lord says, this is not a general blanket statement, Peter. I'm saying you specifically are going to deny me tonight. Even that didn't arrest his attention because he says in verse number 31, he spake more vehemently and this is what he said, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. What was the delusion he told himself? He told himself it couldn't be him. He told himself that even in the plain, clear revelation of Scripture, as Christ shined a light on his broken flesh and showed that Peter was just as prone as the rest of them, just as prone as anybody uh, to deny him. Instead, he told himself that he was somehow above it. Listen, we ought never put that much confidence in our flesh. We ought to recognize, man, our flesh is wicked, it's rotten, it can't be beautified, it can't be sanctified, it, it can't be rehabilitated. Your flesh is your flesh. Uh, listen, you can't beautify it, you have to mortify it. That's the only way to deal with it. You can't sanctify it. It's always going to be what it is. And the moment you say it can't be me, you are at the greatest danger of it becoming you. I see his delusion. Not only that, down in verse number 32, they, they uh, go down into the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says that Jesus in verse 32 said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. And he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. In other words, he is weighed down with the burden of what he's praying over. And he saith unto them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, uh, fast forward a little bit to verse number 37. He cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? What was the path that led him there? Well, first was his delusion. He told himself it couldn't be him. He was somehow above it. Number two was his drowsiness. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, he wasn't on his toes. 
He wasn't vigilant. He wasn't sober. He wasn't watching in his life. Can I just be 100% frank with you? You have to consistently watch your own self. The moment that you just shift into neutral, go into cruise control, start to coast, is the moment when you're in the greatest danger. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we have to live this angst-riddled life where we are obsessively worrying that we're going to take some misstep. But I'm saying the moment that we say, I can check out of this process of the Christian life, and I can just trust that I'm going to automatically be what I'm supposed to be. I don't have to put forth effort. I don't have to watch. I don't have to be vigilant. I can just sort of live my life however I choose to live it, and everything will be fine. That's the moment that we spiritually go to sleep and peril is just around the corner. I think his drowsiness, but then we're told in verse 54 that Peter followed him afar off. Now, you know the story. I'm sure you've read it many times of how the soldiers come and they arrest the Lord Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and and they take him and march him away to a kangaroo court in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. And when this happens, Peter follows and he watches what takes place. And verse 54 says this, that Peter followed afar off. I would say that the path to get there was, was fraught with his delusion and his drowsiness, but not only that, his distance. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? Well, he, he kept following. He just wasn't following close. Can I remind you that had he been traveling in the company of the Savior, there would have been no potential for him to deny the Lord around that fire that night. The thing that afforded him the, the, uh, the uh, reasonable deniability that his flesh used to deny the Lord Jesus was the distance at which he traveled. Can I just, listen, in my life, I want to walk so close to him that it wouldn't even pay me to pretend not to be a Christian because everybody already knew I am one. I want to be following him so closely in my life, in my conduct, in my spirit, in my behavior, that there's no point in trying to keep quiet that I'm a Christian because people can tell by how closely I'm following him how different my life is. They can tell that I'm not like them. They can tell that there's something different about me. The very fact that he, he, and he kept following, he just didn't stay close. And in your life and mine, when we give ourselves reason to drift, to not stay close to the Lord Jesus, we are giving room and space for our flesh to drive a wedge in our loyalty between ourselves and the Savior. He kept following. He kept going where he, the same direction that was the right direction. He just wasn't going with the passion that he once did. I see his path to get there. Notice number two, his performance once he got there. Well, it happened exactly as the Lord said it would. Because everything that the Lord speaks about happens exactly as the Lord says it will. Is it no surprise? He's God. He's the Word, right? So He says that this is going to take place and it happens exactly as He said it would. But what did that look like? What was the experience of denying Jesus Christ? What was it like? Here's what we think. We automatically go forward to the third denial. And we imagine that if we ever deny the Lord, it's going to be a brazen, defiant, public, open denial of it. Well, Peter gets there, but he didn't start there. His denial of the Lord starts in a much more subtle way. Notice what it says in verse 66. It says, As Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. Now, isn't that interesting the way the Holy Ghost says that? And thou also wast with Jesus of Nazareth. Doesn't that bespeak to us that there's a conversation already happening? Peter was sitting there listening to them discuss this man Jesus and his followers. And he did not say anything. 
He just sat there in silence. Now, isn't it amazing that a man that's walked with Jesus for three and a half years at the moment of his arrest and condemnation has nothing to add to a conversation about him? Wouldn't you think he would have something salient, something important to say at that moment? Wouldn't you think at bare minimum he could speak up and say he's not who you think he is? He didn't do what they say that he did. He's not guilty of these crimes. But here's what he told himself. He said, ain't none of my business. I'm just going to stay quiet. Ain't none of my business. They didn't invite me into this conversation, so I'm just going to be quiet. That didn't work very long. You know why? Because the world will drag you into this conversation. You can try to pretend like you can maintain neutrality, but I got news for you. We're living in a world today where you're going to have to make a decision. If you're on a public work uh, place, if if you've got friends that don't know and love the Lord, uh, if you find yourself interacting with the general public at all, there will be moments in which you will not be able to maintain this, this culturally relevant neutrality that the world pushes on you. You're going to have to make a decision. So he thought, well, I'm just going to sit here quiet. None of my business. But pretty soon she turns and looks at him and says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You too. You were one of them as well. Now he has to make a decision. It's been thrust upon him. What's he going to do? The Bible says in verse 68, but he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. Now, at the risk of being harsh on Peter, that was a stupid thing to say. You know, people say sometimes there are no dumb answers. Yeah, there are dumb answers. And that was a dumb answer. Everybody in Israel had an opinion of who Jesus of Nazareth was. And he tried to pretend as though he didn't. He said, I, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. I would say it this way. Number one, uh, he denied passively through his silence. He tried to just remain neutral, not take an opinion. I don't want to offend anyone. Why would I interject myself into this conversation? I don't want to make enemies. What did the rooster say? The Bible says he went out into the porch and caught crude. That was that was the Lord's witness that what he had done in maintaining his silence was a denial of the Lord Jesus. He denied passively through silence. Well, it didn't end there. It, it always intensifies. Because listen, when 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 it when evil is not checked, it intensifies. Uh, and so it intensified, verse 69, and a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them, and he denied it again. Now I love the way that Luke tells us. Uh, that Peter denied him. I mean, it's tragic, but it's very descriptive. Listen how Luke says this exchange takes place. In Luke twenty-two fifty-eight. after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. That's interesting. The first denial, he said, I know not. But now he says, I am not. You know, if you're comfortable saying, I know not, it won't be long till you're comfortable saying, I am not. I would say it this way. He denied purposely through secrecy. He deliberately concealed his relationship with the Lord Jesus and he lied in order to do so. Wonder how often the things, the lengths to which we've gone to to try to maintain the status quo in our relationships have crossed over the line into a shameful denial of the Lord Jesus. What lengths have we gone to to try to keep the peace in social situations? After all, Peter was just trying to keep the attention off of him. He was just trying to keep things from being uncomfortable. But I don't think we'd call it anything other than what it was. He said, I know him not. And I am not one of them. I have nothing to do with that man. Well, that wasn't good enough. 
Because that won't be good enough. You mind, listen, that won't be good enough. The devil does not force us to deny Jesus because he's curious whether Jesus is Lord. He knows Jesus is Lord. The pressure he puts on us, he puts on us, not for his benefit, but for your destruction. He doesn't do this because he's wondering whether Jesus is Lord. He's doing this to try to get you to violate your conscience and try to get you to live in shame and embarrassment over the Lord Jesus. So it says in verse 70, a little after they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean. And thy speech agreeeth there too. Uh, listen, his, his uh, redneck Galilean accent told on him, didn't he? He couldn't hide that man. He couldn't hide. What would he be doing there if he wasn't a follower of Jesus? Let me say, we ought to live in such a way, we ought to live with such kinship to the crucified, risen Lord that people have to look at the way that we live and say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, why are you here? Why are you living that way? Why are you behaving that way? Why are you acting that way? Well, it told on Peter. So now he had to really figure out some way to convince him. So this is what it says. Verse 71, he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. Now, how many of you have heard this before, that uh, vulgarities, that, that, that cursing is an indication of a small vocabulary? You ever heard that before? People curse because they don't, don't know uh, anything better to say. They, they, they do it to mask an inability to communicate uh, what they want to say. And, uh, you know, here's the question. Why did he curse and swear? It's totally unnecessary except this. He was trying to prove. Trying to prove something. He was trying to say, would a follower of Jesus talk this way? Would he live this way? Would he act this way? I would say this, that he passionately denied him through sin. Sooner or later, you're going to be asked to prove your bona fides by the world if you play that game. If you walk that line, if you try to play that realm of neutrality, of, of, of pretending like you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, sooner or later, they're going to ask you to prove it. They're going to ask you to behave and conduct yourself in such a way that it would, even whether or not you're ashamed of him, it would make him ashamed of you. I see his performance there. And finally, and I'm done tonight, and I'll be honest with you, this is really what I had on my heart, this last point. I didn't want to tell you that early because you wouldn't have listened. But now that we've got those first two points out of the way, Here's what I want you to think about with me is his purpose there. What was he doing there in the first place? I think that's the right question. What was he doing there in the first place? Peter being where he's at, it's no surprise he did what he did. How many of y'all had parents that told you that nothing good happens after 10 o'clock at night? How, how many of you had parents that you had to give them some embarrassed phone call at 2 a.m., get them to come get you out of trouble, and the first thing they asked was, what was you doing there in the first place. There are some places that if we go, they will produce certain things in us. We all know this to be true. There are some places a Christian has no business being. No excuse to be. Peter was sitting in a place he shouldn't have been. If he hadn't been in that place, he probably would have never done what he did. And so I think the pertinent question is this. What was he doing there? Why was he there? Verse 54 tells us, it says, Peter followed him afar off, and this is where he went, even into the palace of the high priest, because that's where everyone was. It was dark outside, and that's where the activity was. And he sat down with the servants, that's where the people were, and warmed himself at the fire. That's where the warmth was. I'd say this, three reasons that he was there. I want you to think carefully with me about them. Number one, he sat down for warmth. He sat down because his flesh craved that warmth, that heat off that fire. 
He would have never sat down there. They would have never built a fire had it not been cold. And he would have never sat down had he not been cold. Let me say, when we go to the world for pleasure and to satisfy our flesh, when we go to the world for leisure and comfort, it won't be long and we'll deny the Lord Jesus. He should have never been there in the first place. But see, that fire was warm and his flesh said, Peter, ain't no sense in standing out in the cold. Why don't you come in here where the fire is warm? I'd rather freeze to death. I'd rather freeze to death. We live in a day where there is, and I don't even know how to describe it, but there's this constant false paradigm placed before people. You see this all through the various aspects of life where you are basically given two doors to walk through and you are told you must make a decision between one of these two doors and then fear is used to bully and berate people. Uh, I would say this. You say, preacher, he could have froze to death. He would have been better off freezing to death. Uh, it'd be better for you to deny your flesh than to deny the precious Son of God. He was there for warmth. And when we start going to the world for our needs, whatever needs they may be, be they needs as far as comfort, be they needs emotional, be they needs financial. Listen, I, and I'm not, I'm preaching against working on a public job. Uh, I've worked on a public job. I'd do it again if it meant the difference between my family starving. Uh, or, or not, I'm not against it, but I'm saying when Christians have so yoked themselves to this world system that the only way they can get any warmth is by sitting down at the world's fire, it won't be long before the world says, you want to keep a place here? You're going to have to deny the Savior. He sat down for warmth. Number two, he sat down for light. Uh, this was a time when there wasn't a street lamp on every corner. And he followed the light. The problem was it was the wrong kind of light. He went and sat down around that fire because that's where the light was. That's where you could see things. That's where you could discern things. And let me say, when we go to the world for our warmth, we're going to deny him. But number two, when we go to the world for light, for wisdom, for, for sense, we're going to deny him. When our concept of what is right and wrong and our concept of what is wisdom regarding the governance of our life is, is confined or subjugated to the world's principles... It won't be long before we realize that the only way we can get ahead is by denying the Lord Jesus. This part of the reason I listen, I, and you can disagree with this. I don't think a church ought to be run like a corporation. I don't think it ought to be run by CEOs. I don't think that the world that 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 the church's concept of outreach ought to be marketing based. I, listen, I understand that that in the public sphere, that's the way things are done. We ain't in the public sphere. And the moment that we do that, it won't be long. And by the way, every atrocity that has the name Christianity painted upon it has basically been done for the purpose of either control or marketing, one of the two things. And there's a good argument to be made that those two statements are synonymous. So in other words, when we depart and we say, well, I've got to go to the world for wisdom, for direction, for guidance, won't be long and the world will say, well, here's some guidance. You quit with all that Christianity nonsense because it's hindering you from getting ahead and you just go along to get along. He sat down for light. Number three, and I'm done. He sat down for fellowship. The Bible says he sat with the servants. He, that's where the people were. He didn't want to be alone on that night, but he would have been better off to be alone. He wouldn't have truly been alone, uh, but he hung around the wrong crowd. When we go to the world for fellowship, sooner or later, they're going to demand that by our testimony and by our words and by our life that we deny our Savior. 
Uh, you've often heard me say this. People have, have made the statement to me, well, preacher, you know, I'm just worried if I get saved, I'll, I, you know, I don't know if I can walk away from all my friends. And you've heard me say, you've heard other preachers say, you won't have to walk away from them. They'll walk away from you. Uh, how did he hang around this crowd? I promise you this, and I want to be this type of person. I love when you read through the book of Acts and you follow the life of the Apostle Paul. You'll be alarmed to notice how many times words like uproar and stir are used in the book of Acts. Everywhere he showed up, Paul did, something was going to happen. All right, It wasn't going to be a boring day when the Apostle Paul was there. Now, you might have a revival or you might have a riot, but something was going to happen when Paul showed up. What happened when Peter showed up? Nothing. Fire kept burning. The soldiers kept cussing. The servants kept gossiping. And he just mixed in with the crowd there. You know what would have been far better? If he had had the kind of testimony that night that he should have had, he would have wound up either throwed out or throwed in. He would have either been thrown out or he would have been put in chains right beside the Lord Jesus. But instead he says, you know, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna keep, I don't want things to be awkward around this fire. If I'm gonna keep things civil, then I have to do whatever it takes. Now isn't it amazing? Wouldn't you imagine the thing that would make more sense is that if for things to not become uncivil, they should not blaspheme our God. It should not be incumbent upon you to blaspheme your God to keep the world civil. I don't think it's too much to ask, being that most of the time you're probably not sitting around blaspheming their chosen politician or their favorite football team. It should not be too much to ask that for things to remain civil, they not blaspheme your Lord and they not ask you to deny Him. But you see, that's the way the world system is. It's never really been... The, the, the thing the devil wants you to think is that coincidentally the world and God are at odds. But that's not the case. It's deliberate. I was talking to Brock before the service, and I won't get into everything we was talking about, but uh, we were talking about something that disgusted us in politics, and that's mostly what me and him talk about. But I made the statement to him. I said, Brock, what you got to realize is it's not a bug. It's a feature. It's not an accident. It's on purpose. This world's hatred of Christ is not just coincidental. If it was just coincidental, maybe they'd be satisfied to say, well, you worship who you want to and we'll do what we want. No, 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 no. It's not a bug. It's a feature. It's intentional. It's deliberate. So if you're going to walk in the way of the ungodly, if you're going to sit in the, in the seat of scorners, then you're going to have to deny your Lord to maintain that. Sooner or later, say, oh no, preacher, I can thread the needle. I can, I can toe the line. You don't understand. I can, I can walk the balance beam. It sounds a lot like Peter a few hours before this. He said, I never will. But you see, when you sit down by that fire for warmth and for light and for fellowship, when you go to the world for your needs to be met, it won't be long. They'll demand a, a price from you. They'll want something from you. Say, preacher, what would have been better for him to stand in the cold dark with his integrity than to sit by the warm fire and deny his Lord? Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I really don't know what the Lord may have dealt with you about. I know what I preached on. But I don't know what the Holy Spirit may have said to you. I do know this. We have a tendency to say it can't be me. And that's the most dangerous thing we could possibly say. There might be some things in your heart and in your life that you need to get with God about. You need to apologize to the Lord about. You need to ask His forgiveness about. Maybe some situations you let yourself be in. Maybe some opportunities that you let slip by. Or maybe in your life you'd say, well, preacher, I don't know of any time 
But wisdom would suggest to me that it'd be good that I fortify myself against that. And I'd agree with you about that. Best thing you could do is not take for granted, but instead take it to the Lord. Father, bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.